0: taxes. chooses the things that please me and holds fast my covenant, I will give my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigner who joins himself to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and is not profane, and holds my covenant These I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to him beside those already gathered. Our Father, our God, we would ask for the grace that we need to concentrate on your word, to sit and hear what your word says, what it means, and how it applies to our lives. We pray that the Holy Spirit would take your word and transform our lives. Lord, as Christians, we know that we are in a process of sanctification, where the Spirit of God is taking the word of God transforming us from one degree of glory into an end. We also know, Lord, that you've called us together to work out our salvation with fear and trembling as you give us both the ability and the power to do it. So Lord, use this time to pray. Strengthen our faith and make us holy people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you like to do you wait for the nurse to call your name? you wait for the DMV or the dental counter to display your number? We spend a lot of time waiting. Waiting rooms with their magazines and then place with the phones in our pockets that are loaded with news feeds and photos and books and texts and emails. We can wait well, productively, honorably, Chapters of the book of Isaiah, the prophecy that God gave to his people through Isaiah, point to a time of waiting. Waiting for God's final salvation to come when his Messiah puts all things right, makes an end of evil, evil establishes his righteousness everywhere. So Isaiah's prophecy covers a lot of ground. Beginning way back in 740 BC, when Isaiah himself was commissioned in the year that King Uzziah died. King Uzziah in Israel served for fifty years and allowed the nation to be a prosperous and well secured place. But in the year that he died, God raised up Isaiah as a young man, who served his son, Joseph, who served his grandson, Ahaz, and who served as a prophet even during Hezekiah, his great-grandson. In chapters
1: 1 through 39
0: those first 39 chapters that we've studied, Isaiah confronts Israel's sin and calls King Ahaz and then King Hezekiah to trust God to deliver them from foreign invasion by the Assyrians. In light of the shortcomings of Ahaz and the short-lived revival of Hezekiah, Isaiah prophesied that God would send a righteous king, the branch of David, Emmanuel, and he would come and reign righteousness. In chapters 40 to 55. Isaiah looks down the road 150 years into the future, when Judah's sins would result in Babylonian captivity. Babylon would come and crush the city and destroy the temple. Isaiah foretells that God would not use the Persian king Cyrus to deliver the captives from Babylon, but He would also raise up the suffering servant, Messiah, to deliver them. We read in chapter 53 that he would bear our transgressions, be bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our sins would be laid upon him. Well, that brings us to this final section. Chapters 56 to 66. These chapters fall between the return of the exiles to the land where the Messiah would be born and crucified and raised again. And all the way to the consummation of history, the new heaven and the new earth. In fact, the last chapter of Isaiah points to the new heavens and the new earth where God, by his king, will reign in righteousness. Here, in these chapters, chapters 56 to 66, Isaiah paints a third portrait of God's Messiah. This portrait is of God's going to conquer, who will gather God's people and judge God's kingdom. As here we he sit in Isaiah's story, between the coming of the Messiah, who lived on the earth, died and rose again, ascended to heaven, and will return and consummate all things, we sit here awaiting Christ's return for the final fulfillment of God's eternal plan. We're living in this tension between the already and the not yet. Our text this morning, we learned that God's people must do right until he brings it right. If you want to just think about what's the point of these eight verses, it's something like this. God's people must do right until he brings it right. So how do we wait? What does God want from us as Christians? People who are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. What does he want from us? How do we wait? Well, first of all, we find in verses one we wait as a people who do what God says. This is what we learn. God's people do what God says. This is what marks their lives. God speaks, and people follow and do what God says. In verses 3 through 8, we learn that as we wait, we should have doubt. Don't doubt what God says. Number one, do what God says. Number two, don't doubt what God says. In verses 3 through 8, see as God gathers outsiders and outcasts to himself. I want to persuade you this morning, church, to do what God has revealed to you might. expecting his people to do. Two times in this passage, both in verse number one and in verse number four, they begin with these words, thus says the Lord. Because that should mean something to you. That should mean something to us. Isaiah is delivering God's word to God's people. This is what the Lord says, Isaiah holds out you. Keep justice and do righteousness. Keep justice and be righteous. Because if God says this, you and I should take time to learn what it means and what it looks like in our lives. It was injustice and unrighteousness that brought Israel to ruin. So turn back to me to chapter chapter 1 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, where this all began. Against his people. He says in verse number two of chapter one, Hear O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Children I have reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows his owner, and the donkey his master's crib. But Israel does not know. My people do not understand. Ah, a sinful nation, a people laden with Offspring of evildoers, children who deal corruptly, they have forsaken the Lord, they have despised the Holy One of Israel. Notice in chapter 1 verse 21, how the faithful city has become a whore. She who is full of justice, righteousness lodged in her, but now murderers, your silver has become dross, your best wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebels and companions of thieves. Everyone loves a bride and runs after gifts. They do not bring justice to the fatherless, and the widow's cause does not come to them. Look at chapter 5. When we hear that God uses this metaphor of a vineyard, that He plants a vineyard, and look at drove Eve out the park. Friends, on the other side of this separation from God, this chastening exile, was the atoning work of Christ. God's same passionate commitment now. He lays before His people I've saved you and redeemed you, that you might be a people of righteousness and justice. God's people are to maintain justice. Sadly, keeping justice has become a highly politicized idea that is often man defined rather than God-defined. When God says to keep justice, what does he mean? He means, do what I have judged to be right. So friends, as you read your Bibles, look at the ways in which God says this is right and this is wrong. Or if a person does this, this is what he should do. This is, this is how he should act. Listen to how God judges what should be right, what is right, and what is wrong. God's people are called to maintain justice, and God's people are to do righteousness. That is, to do what God reveals in his character and in his words to be right. God handed to Moses ten words. Ten words that he audibly declared to the people at Mount Sinai. Which can be summed up with these statements love God and love your neighbor. Loving God, the true living God, means don't have any other gods before Worship Him supremely above all things. Don't make images of Him, because any image would be less than as truly who He is. Worship Him. God called the law to so love your neighbor. So, children, honor your parents. Husbands, don't commit adultery, wives, don't commit adultery. Don't bear false witness about your neighbor in work or even in the office. Don't steal, don't take what's not yours, don't covet. God lays these words before us, teaching us what is right, how to live justly and rightly before Him. My friends, to be clear, Isaiah is not inviting people to seek salvation by their own works of righteousness. Clearly, Titus chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he has saved us. Through the righteousness provided by Jesus Christ. But here he is urging those who belong to the Lord to devote themselves to a life that reflects what he has revealed to be right. Church, when the world looks at you, in us, we who are Christians, they should already see a people, a co-worker, a teacher, a police officer, an insurance broker, a nurse, a pastor, displaying what life in God's kingdom looks like, even though it's not here yet in its fullness. Verse number one, the Lord says, keep justice and do righteousness for soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. God introduces this final section of Isaiah promising that he will put things right. His righteousness and his fullness will be revealed. God will send his anointed conqueror to judge his enemies, to put down evil, and deliver his people to a new heaven and a new earth to enjoy his eternal presence. verse 2. God goes on to describe the man or the woman who does this, who keeps justice, who does right, who holds fast to what God says as the blessed. In Deuteronomy chapters 27 and 28 God goes up to, be, to his people this is what, what you will be if you are blessed. Obey my laws and you will be the blessed. Disobey my laws and you will be here he says, those who do what I say is right are the ones. And Isaiah gets specific. Naming what God said to Israel under his old, old covenant, the law of Moses, blessed is the one who keeps the Sabbath, not it; keeps his hand from doing evil. It's a helpful definition of way to think about God. Keeping the sabbath is ultimately, looking forward to the final rest—a time when God's work of recreation will be complete. We, as God's people, will enjoy our God forever in a new heaven and The early church, as we read in the New Testament, gathered throughout the week, but mainly on Sunday. That's why we're gathered here this morning, and we had gathered yesterday and Saturday. Because again. Those who observe my Sabbath, eat my Sabbath without framing it, and is the one who keeps his hand from doing evil. Those who restrain their personal behavior from doing what's wrong as God forgives it. In a Sermon on the Mount, and you can read this in Matthew chapter 5 and chapter 7, Jesus calls his followers to a righteousness that exceeds the checking boxes, like the scribes and Pharisees, the externals. Jesus points to a practical righteousness, <clears throat> that of a Spirit-transforming life. Five times Jesus says in chapter 5, You have heard it said of old, but I say unto you. Jesus identifies evil, that Christians, we must keep from our hands. Jesus said, You have heard the set of old, thou shalt not murder. But Jesus goes deeper. But I say to you, if you're angry with your brother, you should leave your, you should leave your uh, sacrifice at the altar and go reconcile with your brother. And when you're done, come back and worship. And keeping yourself not only from murder, but from anger? Church. Jesus says, You've heard the set of old, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say to you, if so a man looks at a woman to lust after her, he's already committed adultery in his heart. Jesus is teaching us, church to keep ourselves from adultery, but also from lust in the heart. Jesus goes on, You've heard it said, not to bear false witness. separate me from his people. Let not the eunuchs say, behold, I am a tree. Think about it. Isaiah is looking ahead with prophetic vision to a day when eunuchs and foreigners, people once excluded from the temple under the old covenant, would be welcomed in a assembly and God's house would be a house of prayer for all nations. If you write New York, can you think of two more surprising examples than these? So turn back to what's Deuteronomy and chapter twenty-three. Deuteronomy and chapter twenty-three. Listen to this: No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organs cut off shall enter the assembly of the no one born of a forbidden communion may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. No Ananite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of them may enter the assembly of the Lord forever, Because they did not meet you with bread and water on the way when you came out of Egypt, and because they hired against you, Baal, the son of Baal, um, from Bethel of Mesopotamia to curse you. But the Lord your God would not listen to David and said, The Lord your God turned the curse into a blessing for you because the Lord your God loves you. You shall not seek their peace or their prosperity in all of your days. Moabites, Ammonites, cut off from the assembly. Men be male reproductive organs were or in some way mutilated, who would not be permitted into the assembly to offer sacrifices before the Lord. Friends, when you read Isaiah chapter 55, and the words are, Come, are you thirsty? Come to the Lord. Do you have no money? Come to the Lord. He's prepared to you banquet, he's welcoming you giving, uh, into his presence and family into his table. Joined himself to Israel. And God knows the pride and prejudice of Abraham's visible offspring. So that the likes of Rahab and Ruth among us and Cornelius of Rome might worry. I must be of a second category. I must be a second class. Friends, God knows the anxiety and the fear of the eunuch, the outcasts. What future might I have with the people of God? I can't raise a seed. I can't serve and sacrifice at the temple. Let's stop for just a minute and ask ourselves a question. Why in the world can God make laws of us? Can God really have good reasons for restricting access of eunuchs to his name? Well, in some cases, the or such mutilation might have been the result of a work accident, a battle wound. This, re- this restriction would demonstrate how approaching the presence of a holy God demands that we are made whole. And so much more than that. More commonly, a masculination marked occulted pagan practice and even pagan royal families so that men who served. These pagan temples or serve these pagan courts would be emasculated, so as not to procreate or, or be able to claim an heir. So ultimately, this rule became a deterrent from forsaking God. It became a blessing to keep His people from permanent harm. God blessed His people with the ability to have children, and it would He, Abraham, see Israel's offspring that a Messiah would be born to bless all families the earth. The Lord says, notice, thus says the Lord to the audience, to to the one who persists in ordering his life as God commands, keeping his Sabbath; to the one who has a personal commitment to do what God pleases, to grip his covenant. God says, I will give this one a monument and you might remember King, King David said of Absalom, He was unable, He did not bear a son before He died. But it says that Absalom, not bearing a son, set up a monument in the King's Valley. It says He had no son to keep His name in the So he called the monument Absalom. Here, God promises a union. Who joins Himself to the Lord? A place in his house, right inside his walls, not barely in the temple precinct, but right in his very divine presence. He promises this one an everlasting name and an everlasting place, never to be forgiven. The conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8 is a beautiful and to the Lord, to minister, to love the name of the Lord, God would bring yourself. If you're not a Christian here this morning, please understand what it means to join yourself to the Lord. It means to turn from every other God to worship this God of the Lord, Jesus Christ. It means to turn our lives on worshiping other things and worshiping the true and living God Means to love the Lord God. Such turning to a turn culture or system of worship is turning to a personal delight and devotion to the Lord as He has revealed Himself to me as love. Him. To these God says, I will bring to my home, I will welcome into my presence, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer, and I will accept their burden why does God do this? Notice, he tells us, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all Because the gathering of foreigners and units is fulfillment of what God's household was always meant to be. Me. You can go back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, and God says to Abraham, through your seed, I will bless all the families of the world. My house, shall be a house of prayer for all peoples. Why did God say my house should be a house of sacrifice for all peoples? Because the main attraction of the house of the Lord is to enjoy his presence in Through the sacrifices that eternal us. We are accepted into his divine presence in the atonement It all up. The Lord, that is a sovereign God who gathers the outcasts of Israel, declares, I will gather yet others to them beside those already gathered. Friends, God who rules over all the earth declares that He has power and mercy, that He has decided to gather the banished of Israel. He had sent them into exile, but He was going to show mercy to a remnant. And we see that when Jesus Christ comes, he has 12 men. These 12 men, 11 of them, proved to be believers, Jewish believers, a small remnant, coming to God. But it was not only God's power and mercy to show grace and salvation and banishment of Israel and to gather to the gathered. Others. Others, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, Himself as they are us. The reality of all God's children is that we are gathered outcasts and outsiders. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John's Gospel, God so loved the world in this way. Yes, Nicodemus. God loved and provided sacrifice for sinful descendants and God combined away the people of the world. Jesus teaches that he is a good shepherd. He knows his own sheep and lays down his life for sheep. And he says in John 10, And other sheep that are not of this fold I must bring them also, and they will listen to